Welcome back to Graphical Literature 209 from the Miskatonic University Literature Department's Remote Education Program, aka Graphical Literature and Society and History, the Comics Course. I am your professor, as always, Professor Hamby, here with my TA, Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. Now, I didn't hear that because right before we started recording, Rowan decided to cough into the microphone, temporarily deafening me. All I can hear right now is the endless void of stars and planets dying. I tried to cough away from the mic. Can't hear you. Stars dying. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about the second story arc from Jack Kirby's The Black Panther. It's It, it feels like a bit of a fraud being here doing this podcast because as important as The Black Panther is to culture now. I mean, I felt like he was important to black comic culture anyway. But once the movie came out, Black Panther as a symbol became an absolutely iconic part of Western black culture. I mean, people are out there yelling Wakanda forever who never freaking heard of the Black Panther before a few years ago. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Uh, I, and I think that's because the very thing that made him a powerful symbol uh, for black comic book readers, black comic book writers, black comic book artists, uh, just got exposed to a larger audience who felt that same thing that they did. And so it resonates. And I think it's pretty awesome, actually. However, none of that is in the least bit relevant for what we're going to talk about today, because Jack Kirby took the title over, and Jack Kirby was not a racist. I mean, he 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 had diversity in his books that uh, that we know, in fact, bothered editorial staff at times. However, he viewed it from a standpoint very different from the contemporary idea of being woke. He was not woke at all. He just drew what he saw on the street. If he rode a bus with black people, well, I mean, there are black people in New York. Your stories in New York, there are going to be black people in the stories. He looked around, he saw black college professors, why wouldn't you have a black college professor in your book? Mm -hmm. And so on and so forth. I mean, and that was his idea, which is absolutely fascinating to me that his inclusionism, you know, was based on reality, and yet he's one of the most unrealistic writer-artists possible. He went with extreme stylized designs that did not look even vaguely like he gave a crap about physiology. Well, I mean, that's not true. I mean, he did care about physiology, but photorealism was not a goal of his and his stories were so pulp i mean you would have thought he'd been born and you know well the early 20th century and he was i guess yeah i mean he grew up in the pulp era and it shows now part of what i find interesting about this run is that it stands in almost entirely on its own there is almost no connection of any kind whatsoever to the larger Marvel mytho mythos. Now, this isn't very surprising, frankly, for him. Uh, he wanted to do things on his own. He really had hit a point where he was completely exhausted by trying to do some sort of big universal thing. He wanted to do the Eternals for Marvel, where they complained to him that there weren't crossovers. So he had a scene where somebody basically was cosplaying as Thor. And somebody <laughs> mentioned, hey, I wonder if the Hulk's going to get involved with this. And that was the extent of him bringing other Marvel su Marvel superheroes into the Eternals. And when he went to DC, he wanted to do his own thing. He created a fourth world mythology where he didn't want to do Superman. Uh, famously, 
they they hated his Superman so much that when he included Superman in the Forever People, they would take his pages and send them to somebody else to white out Superman uh, from the Kirby style and then redraw him in a more house style because they considered that bad. Can you imagine that? Somebody literally just whiting out a character and redrawing it on your pages? I'd be so pissed. Now, shockingly, apparently Jack Kirby wasn't. Because he didn't want to do Superman anyway. He didn't care. He didn't even want Superman in the book. But he was, by this point, getting pretty jaded. And he came back from DC to Marvel. He ended up on Black Panther because he didn't want to take over another writer or artist book. He didn't want to put anybody out of work. Um, Kirby was always kind of a, you know, these other creators are my brethren kind of guy. And I, but I don't think he read Don McGregor's Jungle Action I don't think he knew the Black Panther from there. We certainly see no elements of here. This Black Panther could have taken off directly from his appearance in Fantastic Four, which Kirby created with Stan Lee, other than the acknowledgement that he'd been in the Avengers. And conversely, very little of what is in these books followed into future Black Panther. So they almost exist in like a little pocket dimension by themselves, which I think is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And... We Now, there's a bunch of elements to this. For example, this is really the first time that he goes in-depth on Wakanda, where he shows much of Wakanda. And in typical Kirby style, when I say much of Wakanda, I mean basically none. We see like 10 foot around whoever is fighting at the time, and that's it. You compare that to, say, Don McGregor's Wakanda where we got a sense of the culture. We got a sense of how people entertain themselves. We, we saw how people lived. Nothing of that here at all. But he does make an attempt, he being Jack Kirby, to build up a supporting cast for the Black Panther, a family even, which had pretty much zero impact on future stuff. Mm -hmm. So let's start with issue seven and we're gonna cover through this arc and then on the next episode, we're going to pick up at the very tail end of Volume 1 of the Black Panther to where it continues into a series called Marvel Premiere. So, Black Panther number 7, 35 cents! This would have been 1976 or 1977. All-out action with the awesome Black Panther, T'Challa returns to his rightful realm, where waits the most insidious enemy of all. Doom is the song of the drums. So T'Challa is launching himself at this figure. Now, as we go in, we have, you know, a transition from the last story facing the samurai. We covered that in the last episode. I'm not going to talk about that in depth here. And we get follow-up that I referenced last uh, course session, class session, uh, where we have a regent that's been left in place of T'Challa to rule. It's not indicated that he's part of the family, um, but he is someone that's highly trusted. His name is Nagasi, and he's an old, white-haired guy in these sort of ceremonial, like, toga. Now, interestingly, he is one of the few characters from this that was added that does show up in later Marvel Black Panther comics. He shows up in the same role as a sort of elder advisor periodically in different Black Panther runs. And we get a figure named General Jakara, 
Now, General Jakara exposes himself to vibranium radiation in order to gain power and mutate himself because, you know, this has never gone wrong for anybody. Yeah, this definitely isn't the plot line of hundreds of movies. Right. Now, interestingly, they also reference General Jakara as a member of the royal family. He is supposedly T'Challa's uh, half-brother. Hmm. T'Chaka apparently took another wife at some point. Simultaneously, it's not clear. Mm-hmm. And had another son. But Jakara here is General Jakara. And obviously not in line to be the Black Panther. We jump back and forth as the Black Panther uh, deals with a bunch of pulp stuff. Including getting away from the collectors who are unhappy about him. Uh giving back the water of eternity to the samurai. Turns out he has one small vial. It gets destroyed. He basically escapes in a super helicopter. And so that's sort of the transition issue. Now, number eight, we get this issue. Meet T'Challa's family. They must regain their fighting heritage or fall before an inhuman foe. And we see this odd little group facing this monster. And we don't get to see much of the monster. Now, the monster here, you could be forgiven if you think to yourself, he looks a lot like a generic Marvel monster of the issue from the 1960s. And that's absolutely true, but also keep in mind, Jack Kirby created those generic monsters of the month in the 1960s at Marvel. So there's probably a good reason for that. Uh, We get a flashback here where we find another piece of the mythology that has persisted somewhat where we see a Black Panther figure that maybe we initially believe is T'Challa, and he's facing in the ring people who want to challenge for the title of the being the Black Panther and prove themselves, and the Black Panther is whooping everyone's ass until he gets to this masked figure. The masked figure whoops his ass, and we find out that is actually T'Challa. And it is when he was still a boy, and someone else was reigning as the Black Panther because he was still a child, And then he grew to adulthood and challenged and won his way into being the Black Panther and all that. This idea of the masked nobleman who has to, through a ritual of combat, uh, take up a sort of uh, position of authority is not unfamiliar to DC readers if you know the origin of Wonder Woman. She has that. And again, it comes from, I don't think Jack Kirby is stealing from Wonder Woman at all here. I think it's a natural conclusion to a warrior culture. And while Jack Kirby did not talk about this being a warrior culture, I think he's drawing on that idea. And we do see many flashbacks to all these tribal warriors. That idea does persist through many future iterations, especially the Christopher Priest Black Panther, which really the Christopher Priest Black Panther is what then Reginald Hudlin and Ta-Nehisi Coates built off of. So as he's flying along... We then cut back to Wakanda, where we see the big purple monster come in. He basically is the Hulk, except purple and not quite as thick. Black Panther saves some guys on a raft. They turn out to be wanted criminals who go to kidnap him. Um, So they have a fight in the helicopter. And we need an excuse for the Black Panther, I guess, to get delayed in getting back to Wakanda. So there's this bizarre couple of pages where he randomly saves these people, fights them, crashes the helicopter, then goes through the desert carrying the surviving one, only to 
and I'm not joking here, run into a movie set where they're filming a sci-fi movie in the middle of the desert and they save him. What? And for absolutely no apparent reason, they decide on said movie set that they have to arrest him because the guy he's carrying is a, is a known gangster. But he, after all this time away from Wakanda, feels this urgent need to be back in Wakanda now. And so he punches out a guy operating a soundboard, creates chaos with all the automated machines it runs, and steals a Jeep and drives away. Don't let Kirby drink and ride. This is about... Now, there are some panels here where I swear to God, the top panel of one of these pages with this, you know, guy in an alien suit on this, you know, fake laser cannon... I have seen this exact same thing in his fourth world books with a hunger dog at Apocalypse firing off a cannon into the skies, you know, attacking people, right? Mm. Um, Poor sound. Or, or Parademon or whatever it was. But th this whole departure is just bizarre. And it's not that it's... I, I, it's so bad it's almost good. No, well... It's just bad, you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like at some point he went, "Ah, oh, crap! I need to. F I need three more pages of filler. Let's toss this in." Right. Right. And there is a panel here where the now mutated General Jakar, uh, uh, Jakara, smashes through a window that he does in fact look almost exactly like the original representations of the Hulk. Yeah. Which were more monstrous than the later versions that kind of gave him more human-like characteristics. Mm -hmm. So, in these issues, we also meet these four layabouts. Now, supposedly, the Wakandan royal family is now kind of scattered. They're wealthy, they wander around the world and doing stuff. So, Nagasi, the regent, is able only to pull four of them back to Wakanda immediately. One of them is Kanada. And he's wearing, like, this red jumper thing, and we find out he's obsessed with racing. He's a race car driver. And, by the way, we never see him again after the Jack Kirby run. Ever. Now, in the comic book world, let me tell you, comic book writers love obscure crap from the past. I mean, th there is... I, I do not know this for a fact, but I am willing to wager a small appendage from my body, maybe a toe, maybe, maybe like, you know, little toe. I don't need it that much in case I'm wrong, but I'm willing to bet and wager my pinky toe that when you get comic book writers together drinking who work for Marvel and DC, there's a drinking game of, oh, you thought you put that obscure reference in? Let me tell you what I snuck into a story. One hat check girl was mentioned in one side panel but that panel got whited out by the printing process but I brought her back as the roommate of the third cousin of Misty Knight's hairdresser <laughs> which only got mentioned in a joking reference in the letter page beat that motherfucker I mean they love this they love the history of comics and they love that kind of stuff right so, the fact this guy is never seen again says something. I mean, he's established in canon as a member of the Wakandan royal family. 
But we're not done. Um, next up is Zuni, a large woman who, who, whose only real defining action is that somebody later makes a joke that she was injured and she says, nah, my booty too flush for that. That's not a quote. She's, I think she says backside is too big for injury. But I mean, she, she's the booty joke character. Because black women's got big booties, right? And then, again, never seen again, ever, later. Then we have Ashanta, guy in the suit, black, looks like he could be on Wall Street. He's a financier, we're told. Never seen again outside Kirby's work, also. And then, playing a slightly more prominent role in the story, because he actually does things that have consequences, unlike the others, is Joshua Itabo. He's represented as young, probably like 18, 19. He's a doctor. He's super serious. He appeared one more time ever mm-hmm. outside Kirby's run. Uh-huh. In an issue of Cable in 1998, when Cable crash lands in Wakanda, and we find out Itabo, who's described by T'Challa, who's in it, as a cousin of his, who then teams up with Claw to attack Cable in uh, T'Challa so his, and turns villain. So his one other appearance is helping... Is be a villain. Liter- 21 years later. And an issue entitled Jungle Action. Wow, he became bitter over those 24 years not being added. 21. 21, sorry. Although I like the homage from the writer. Mm-hmm. Of calling it jungle action. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also did, by the way, have Wakabi in it. Wakabi. And Nagasi. Nagasi. So, there we go. We have a financier, a doctor, a race car driver, and a booty queen. Nothing could go wrong and here. they are supposed to take up the role of T'Challa and protect Wakanda. From, it's not mentioned... But another member of the family, the now mutated Jakara. Wakanda's so screwed. Notice the only characters that seem to be important are if they're of royal descent. This is a very 19th century mindset um, that a lot of people in the early 20th century, of course, inherited because they came from the 20th century. I mean, look at like 19th century heroic figures. Say Tarzan. He grows up in a jungle where his birth is completely irrelevant. He's a little white baby saved by gorillas, but he's Lord Greystoke. Mm-hmm. And you can keep going and going and going. It's even important when Sherlock Holmes is introduced, even though it's all about his personal intellect, that it's pointed out that he's descended from a line of country squires and has painters in his family and musicians. You know, your parentage is super important. Anyway, uh, and so here we are in 1977 with some of that still being written. That doesn't really shine in things like the Fourth World or Eternals, where you have this whole mythology and you're talking about gods anyway. But when you start talking about people, that dis- that sort of old world thinking becomes more obvious. Mm-hmm. So Jakara breaks in, he throws people around, and then, I'm not joking, the four of them gathered together to beat Jakara, wearing these 
strange Black Panther-esque outfits with half masks. It's not explained why they're half masks, unless they're just hoping that'll help us tell who, who they are apart better, although they have very different body shapes. And I mean, well, let's be honest, we could note Zuni's booty from orbit. I mean, we could mark it as the eighth wonder of the world next to the Great Wall. I'm joking. Look, you gotta make a booty joke here and there. Um, and, they, and they're named. And I'm not joking. Okay, you can look this up yourself. There are images of this, I'm sure, somewhere on the internet. Their, their faces are presented in a red circle. It says, presenting last hope for the Wakanda. Not even the Wakandas! <laughs> Wakanda. But the Wakanda! <laughs> fuckers. <laughs> they needed continuity editors so fucking bad. So bad. Presenting the Black Musketeers. Okay. God damn it. I don't even know what to say about this one, folks. This is so... So... I, what is it? I know. It's that. Exactly. I mean, read the room, people. I, You know, naming them after a group of French... Uh, uh, civil servants who upheld Aristotle rule. I mean, I guess they are doing that, but... They're not French or white. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, Christopher Priest invented the Dora Milaje. You could do better than Black Musketeers. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Seriously. Dora Milaje way cooler, too. Um, and some of them had booties. Oh, God. That's right. I went there. So... You know, the militaries had their butts kicked by the mutant general Jakara. Uh, the the musketeers who... Hold on, we have the hounds whining again. One of them's been scratching at my door recently. He may need to be tranquilized. One second. All right, we are back. Sorry about that. The hounds have been in a bad mood recently. Um, general Feckett has been taken on an... Uh, general Feckett. Dr. Feckett's been taken on an emergency trip. Uh, by some of the literature department to Czechoslovakia for some R&R, &R, um, which, based on what I know of Czechoslovakia, yeah, the less said about the better is probably, probably good. Yeah. Um, anyway, he should come back relaxed, but that may, but uh, Dr. French, of course, volunteered to go with him, so he hasn't been around to feed the hounds, and other people seem kind of scared of them. They they're fine with me. I know. I think they're quite pleasant. Um, but anyway. All they have to do is bring them treats. Right. So, anyway. Hounds of Miskatonic aside. We meet back up with the Black Musketeers. <laughs> <laughs> now, we see on the cover that they have Black Panther half masks. And we think, okay, maybe this is so we can see their bottom face and distinguish them better because the body shapes aren't enough. But now we see their outfits. It's so much worse. It's it is, so much worse. They are wearing black unitards with gloves and boots with an offset color for a bodysuit underneath, respectively lime green, dark purple, a medium tone green and a color that's some sort of orange or gold. 
in addition to wavy striped armbands and something around their waist that might be like, I don't know, an energy girdle or something. I don't know. The art was so good up until now. And you just look at this and go, Kirby. Kirby. I mean, your designs are amazing, but WTF, man. <laughs> I mean, I know everybody's going to have an off day, but were you just sitting around at this point going, fuck it? Or were you like, I hate my life and I want to make other people hurt too? <laughs> I mean, that's what th these outfits feel like to me. I mean, right? Small children dress themselves better. I know. Uh, so, you know, we head back to Nagasi. And, it, and in some sort of fit of, you know, self-satire, he has Nagasi say, I don't know what possessed me to call upon the ruling family in this crisis. Look at these expenditures. Costumes, smoke guns, chemicals, adhesive. You know, so they, they apparently were told, you need... So these aren't like ritual outfits. They sat around as grown adults and said, we're designing this to wear and it'll be fly. <laughs> And, and, and spent time doing this. So this guy, their cousin, has become a mutant who's murdering people. We see the city burning when Nagasi looks out the window. And they stopped and went, you know what? It's time for Project Runway. <laughs> what? <laughs> so... Was he just trying to make fun of the rich? I don't know what he was making fun of. I think he might have been just making fun of comic books themselves. This was a time when Jack Kirby was getting pretty burnt out on the comic book industry. And it should be noted that we only have a few more issues in his run here. And when he leaves Marvel again, he doesn't go back to DC. And he doesn't really go back to do independent stuff much. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So... <laughs> In fact, I think I'll end this session with a bit of a, a story that moves us away from Black Panther uh, into a tangent about Jack Kirby that's kind of interesting. Uh, it, so Black Panther beats up a sound guy and steals a Jeep, you know. Um, Poor sound guy does not get paid enough. No, he really doesn't. The, the Black Musketeers... <laughs> And put the body away, knocked out, uh, of General Jakara. He, of course, gets up. And and actually, some pretty cool art showing his monstrous form blasts his way out of the chamber he's been put and starts walking towards the mound. This, of course, is building up to the big issue that's happening, the big conflict, where he is going to start interacting with the Vibranium Mound in such a way that it could form a cosmic egg and destroy the planet. So this is the big threat that has to be dealt with. Um, and of course, that's what happens. We have some more pointless fight scenes as T'Challa runs into local border guards, basically. Um, they shoot at him from their plane... Why they bother shooting at a jeep from a plane? I don't know. He surrenders to a plane. The plane lands and approaches him with guns. Now, all of this is a little weird, but I would like to direct your attention to the art at the bottom of the page. First of all, 
I'm doubtful there was room for two men in that cockpit. I don't even know, based on the art, how T'Challa is going to fit in there, except through some acrobatic maneuvering. But what the bloody hell? Were They, they do show two seats. Where were they going to put T'Challa as a prisoner? Where? How did even one of them fit in there? I mean, I understand they might radio in and wait for help. But if you do that, you can hold a gun on a guy from, you know, 30 feet, not walk up to him so he can beat the crap out of you. And we already have established his outfit's just cloth at this point still. Because, as we know from a couple episodes ago, state troopers can beat him up. Yeah. Or at least shoot him dead. Um, Only a small child looks like it can fit in there. Right. Now, it, however, let, let's look at something here. So... We see that panel. Let's go ahead two pages. Now look at the top right-hand panel. That looks so much bigger. Now he's in a World War II bomber. I mean... the, the What's going on? Jack Kirby is not paying attention when he's changing panels at all. Dude. Um, and I love Jack Kirby, so it kind of... My soul is wounded pointing these things out. Because I love Jack Kirby's art so much. But I really do feel like he was at a point in his career here where he was just dialing it in. Now, even dialing it in, his art's amazing. But he was so much better than this. So we're seeing him at the end of his comic book career effectively here. So, of course, Jakar is blowing stuff up. The Black Musketeers... <laughs> are still wearing those outfits for the love of all that's good. For the love of whatever god you worship. Bast, Thoth, Hermes, Yahweh, uh, Ganesh. Maybe you got some Shinto people, you know, Amaretsu. For the love of every god on earth, change out of those outfits. They look even worse than their masks. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's amazingly bad just amazingly bad it's just dude you are a race car driver you're still never getting laid again after wearing that outfit it doesn't matter how cool a race car driver is women are just gonna th have the psychic impression that you wore this outfit once and that's gonna be enough you're never getting laid again ever meanwhile a uh, uh, future supervillain Looks like he's changed out of his outfit because he's in some sort of robes or something. Because apparently doctors are also nuclear biophysicists. And he's been working out how to cure General Jakara. But he then goes to take off his his robe uh, outfit for the lab. And he's wearing his costume underneath it. Keep the robe on. Keep it on. It's better. It's so much better. Then we transition to the, to, to the booty queen, who's now pulling her cowl up and apparently putting on glasses because she can't see without them. But let me tell you, the outfit covers her ears so she can't put glasses on. So, you know, this is not shown, but if this action sequence continues as it's intended, she's about to put glasses on her head that are just going to slide off immediately. <laughs> Wait, how is she walking? How is she fighting? 
Yeah, this doesn't make sense. You know, before I'd assume that they had some sort of optic technology built in, but she doesn't have the glasses on before, and she's putting the hood up and now has them in her hand approaching her face. What's happening? What we are seeing is the meltdown of a brilliant comic book artist who's decided they don't give a fuck anymore. Now let's return to Black Panther, who now look at that panel. <laughs> it's changed again! We're back to a plane more like it originally was shown. Th this plane has changed more than Wakanda has changed where its location oh, is. Oh, no, no, let's not get out of control. <laughs> oh, by the way, it is explicitly mentioned that they are very close to Nairobi here. We haven't gotten to that yet, but we will. Oh, it changes again. I have an explanation for the plane, though. Okay. There's a golden frog in the back seat. God fucking damn it. Yep, there you go. <sighs> fucking frogs. Everything's the frogs. So, as things go on... <laughs> the, the, I'm sorry, I can't say this seriously. The Black Musketeers freeze him. So he looks like the Abominable Snowman. And then they have a panel. Look at the bottom left panel. <laughs> it's the helicopter. The helicopter. But but look at General Jakara's legs and between them. <laughs> Somebody, it's for reasons that there's no obvious reason for. There is a part of the background that wasn't there in the previous panel that basically makes it look like. There's a giant robotic dong between his legs. I feel like that was on purpose. And it's just... There's no way to look at that panel without seeing that. I know. And this, it's just... So, you know, okay, so the... the, the I can't call him that again. The royal family are getting their butts whooped. T'Challa shows up to save them, of course. Um, Nagasi says, and I don't know how this didn't make it into future continuity, apparently a saying in Wakanda is, by the sacred panther fetish. No. 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 There's no way he said that. He did. He did. I promise you. I was concerned I wouldn't see it again as I'm flipping through the pages, so I wrote it down in my notes, word for word. Was it a misspelling? Oh, no. Now, you have to understand, I, you're, you're an art major, so you may not know this, but the word fetish does have multiple meanings, including an item related to a religion or mystic practice. Yeah. But... But they have to know how that sounds and con... And just how, how awkward it is. Even if it didn't have a sexual connotation. And, okay, people, I, I don't need to be told about Rule 34. I know if I search for the combination of the word panther and certain other things, certain things will show up on the internet, especially from the furry community. I know this. That doesn't mean you talk about it in a comic. Now, I understand you probably wasn't talking about fetish in that context. But A, that term was used in that context by 1977. And two, the phrase is awkward as fuck anyway. There's no way to slice it to make it okay. And if these comics are presumably being sold to kids, 
And these kids look up fetish in a dictionary or just casually ask somebody what it means or have an, a decent vocabulary of their own, which are they most likely to know and fixate on? Because these comics were still being marketed to kids. The sexual one. Right. This just seems like a bad idea. So T'Challa saves the day and in day and indeed saves the world. Um, now it has consequences. We now jump to issue 11 where he faces off, off against Kyber the Cruel. And Kyber is a golden red outfit wearing giant axe wielding uh, villain. And if you look at him and you have flashbacks to Steppenwolf, of Apocalypse and the New Gods mythology, uh, you can be forgiven because I did too. Still, really cool design. And the Black Panther is facing off against all these bad guys in a dream. And we find out that the Black Panther, maybe because of his exposure to vibranium while fighting Jakara, is developing psychic powers. Dun dun dun. dun. So I think this was Jack Kirby's way of kind of expanding the character, trying to do something more interesting, and giving him a plot device that didn't allow him to have to build logical stories. How do you know to go to the other lost tomb of Solomon? Psychic powers told me. <laughs> Saw it in a dream. Well then. I, yeah, Jack Kirby had hit a fuck it point. Well, yeah, he added a golden frogs. The, everything went downhill from there. Language! Language! <laughs> oh, I don't need a treatise about racism <laughs> towards frogs. You really should apologize for it. Sorry, but everything still went downhill from there. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Alright, let's avoid this topic. I'm going to get canceled. Um, Goddamn amphibians are going to cancel my ass. So, next up we see uh, Kanada out driving. The military is not happy about him racing around. He go shows up at the mountains. This is where he says, if we could clear a path through the mountains, we could be in Niobe, do an African Grand Prix. And he's kidnapped. We see T'Challa... Doing the whole thing where he can see things that he can't see with his psychic powers. And he gets mental messages from Kanata that he's been kidnapped. Now, why has he been kidnapped? Because a whole bunch of people are being kidnapped by these ethereal figures that all seem to be copies of one person. In order to put them in a box and turn them into energy that's fed into a... Well, he doesn't call it a cube... He calls it a, what does he call it? A Kyber something. And, and the guy's name is Kyber. Now, you will be excused if you look at this and go, that looks like a cosmic cube. And I think basically Kirby went, I want to use a cosmic cube. They won't let me use the cosmic cube. <laughs> Fuck it, I got a Kyber cube. And, and, like, he's just fucking with Marvel at this point. The next issue is called The Kyber Clue. He's being paid to fuck with them. Right. And us. And then the next issue, we have T'Challa now 
is a telepath as well as a precog of some kind and he's mentally communicating with Kanata. Kyber continues to channel people into his cosmic cube. Uh, sorry. Kyber is actually technically not a cube. It's a rhombus? I'm not sure. Like and it's got a base on it. Um, kind of looks like, you know, actually it looks like a slightly misshapen Molnir. It kind of looks like a misshapen light bulb. Yeah. So... I, I, there's not a whole lot to say here. Black Panther shows up. Guys walk through walls. He beats them up. They still kidnap him. And by the end of it, he encourages all the prisoners to band together, to escape. Uh, asses get kicked. The Black Panther chases after Kyber, who it turns out is not there. These things are like holographic projections. That's how they can walk through walls. And it says, next issue, the final chapter. Plus a new writer, a new artist, and more. And indeed, this is it. This is the end of Jack Kirby's Black Panther. Wait, they had some other poor person wrap this mess up? And kind of sort of continue it, yes. Oh, no. Yes. Um, now, I'm not going to go into the next tier because what they did was they did a few more issues of Black Panther. They let the series end, and then they continued it as a feature in a sort of anthology title called Marvel Premieres. Now, the next issue, uh, supposedly they took Kirby's notes, at least, his outline, but they didn't use it verbatim. He had notes? Uh, presumably. Now, the plot here is credited to Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter was... I can't remember. I think he was editor-in-chief at Marvel at this point. If not, he became it soon after. I don't remember the exact dates for everything off the top of my head. Jim Shooter was a well-established writer, um, and he became a long-term editor at Marvel, who was responsible for some major financial successes in the 80s, as well as some major disasters, and was not well-liked by the creative parties. He really basically thought everybody should write exactly like him. Uh. And if they didn't have his same thoughts, then in his opinion, they were bad writers. And then the story was by Ed Harrigan, so... I'm guessing Jim Shooter took some content that was left behind by Jack Kirby. Maybe even a full script. I don't know. And then transformed it into something he found acceptable and handed it off to Ed Harrigan. And Ed Harrigan now takes over writing credit from here on out. Uh, as well as the one who writes the continuing story as it goes into Marvel premiere. And of course, the art... I mean... It's obvious. I mean, there's no way anybody on God's green earth would confuse this art for Jack Kirby's. Yeah, it's so different. Yeah. The it's, art it's is by good. Jerry Bingham, um, inks by Gene Day. Jerry Bingham was a good artist. I mean, he was, he was one of those working artists that did contributed a lot to the comics over the years. He never became a superstar name. But he was good. He was a competent, good artist. Uh, you know, a draftsman, a worksman. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not Kirby's style at all. Yeah, it's completely different. Now, at this point in Kirby's career, he basically was done with comics completely. He, he was just done with them. He'd been burned by Marvel. He'd been burned by DC. Um, he decided the grass wasn't greener on the other side. He decided it was all a toxic wasteland. 
And he ended up uh, doing something he had thought about doing before, but didn't work out. And he went over to animation um, and character design for TV studios and movie studios and stuff. And we know some things that he definitely contributed work towards, and including character designs for one of my favorite cartoons as a kid, Thundar the Barbarian, mm. um, and a bunch of other stuff. And he found he was much better paid there. He was he found that he didn't have to deal with the same kind of politics. You know, things went through a process and they worked or they didn't. Uh, he got benefits, which nobody in the comic book world was getting at that time, unless you were on a certain staff level at a comp company. But writers and artists who worked freelance didn't get that stuff. Um, and he was respected. And he worked with people, especially young animators who grew up on his comics and worshipped him. And he was much happier. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that he completely stopped doing comics. But he only, he, he didn't feel a need to continue making his own regular comics. He wasn't obsessed with it. He was okay with moving on. Now, he did occasionally here and there do something, but usually as a favor for someone else. And I don't want to go too much into the story, but there was a breakout character from Marvel called uh, Howard the Duck. And you've seen him in a couple of the Marvel movies. He showed up in What If... He showed up in the backgrounds of everyone, Guardians of the Galaxy. Everyone knows Howard the Duck is. Okay. Everyone recognizes him. Well, he was actually introduced in Man-Thing um, by a writer. And I don't want to go into too many details because that's actually a fascinating story on its own that I want to do at some point. Um, that writer's conflicts over the character were, make up a fascinating story. And I will. I, I will do a whole class session on that at some point. But... Fast forward many years later, he basically created a variant of Howard called Destroyer Duck to, to give the finger to Marvel and to allow himself to continue doing Howard the Duck stuff, mm -hmm. except now Destroyer Duck. Um, and he was trying to raise money for a legal fight with Marvel, and he approached Jack Kirby and, and said, um, I'm trying to raise money and I can't really afford an artist. And Jack Kirby apparently said, so this is to fuck with Marvel? He said, yeah. And Jack Kirby said, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> That's a beautiful kind of pettiness. I know, right? So I, that's the end of the Jack Kirby Marvel. It's not the end of the frogs. They will return in future appearances. And we will go outside Black Panther because I will explain what happened to the frogs. Look, I know you see them at family reunions. I d look, if you're not going to say anything constructive, don't rib it at all. <laughs> so we're going to go into Marvel premiere. We're going to try to cover a whole bunch next time. Things that I think are... We're going to probably hit some bullet points because I want to move ahead through maybe two more class sessions. But I want to do the Marvel premiere... I want to do Black Panther Volume 2, the four-issue limited series. And then I want to do um, the other Don McGregor run. And I'd like to fit that in one or two class sessions if I can, but that's a lot of material, so it might be three. But then I want to get into Christopher Priest, which is a whole lot of fun. So 
we're going to be doing Black Panther for a long time, but I do want people to turn into the optional classes that we're doing on Thursdays with other topics. I've been bad about getting some of them out. I'm going to get better at it. Hopefully, Dr. Feckett will come back from Czechoslovakia rested and can take over all of his classes again soon. Oh, God. Um, and, but we are putting out one this Thursday before the end of Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, where I have some unconditional recommendations and some conditional ones for some things. I didn't want to just do things with Hispanic characters for Hispanic Heritage Month, though. I wanted to focus on Hispanic creators. So I'll say that up front. Um, because I don't think... Look, there are great Batman writers who've wrote amazing Catwoman stories, and she's half Cuban. That's not enough. Jamie Reyes, the Blue Beetle, the fact she's of Hispanic origin, not enough. Kyle Rayner. Wait, wait, Catwoman's half Cuban? Yeah. I did not know this. Get with the times, man. She's also very clearly bi, but that's another issue. Issue? Um, well, there are people who have issue with it. Ugh. I mean, I don't have an issue with it. I don't... Look, I, I like all kinds of stories. And if you think Catwoman's the kind of character that won't do things because it's fun, with probably relatively few limits, you have not understood the nature of her character. Mm -hmm. um, just saying. Uh, the fact that nobody has done a mainstream story of her and Harley Quinn just going, fuck it, let's go to Tijuana for a weekend, kind of surprises me. We need this. I know, right? We need this. No. I mean, frankly, that... Throwing Poison Ivy, chasing them because she's jealous. Something with weird tequila plants for Poison Ivy to interact with. I think we've got a great story. I love this already. Uh, but DC will never hire me to write it. Um, mainly probably because of the time I accused them of snorting coke off hookers' backs. Or maybe the other time I accused them of that. Or Anyway! Um, lawyers said I shouldn't talk about that. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, that's where we're at. And we're going to talk about Hispanic heritage. Some um, There's a lot of great Hispanic creators out there, but there's just a few really accessible works I want to highlight, uh, including a couple that I personally didn't like, but I think some other people will. Ooh. So there we go. Uh, we'll see you in a few days on Thursday for that class. Bye.